Sports Ethos New York Knicks podcast. Andre Gallagher. It's All Star break. Hopefully, these Knicks are resting up for this stretch run here. Hopefully, they're working out, working on their shots. RJ, talking to you. Nice first half of the season. The Knicks are currently, I believe, six games over 500. No one expected this at the All Star break. You fans are terrible. I don't care. This whole talk about, don't tell me how to think. You guys are terrible. Because the majority of you did not appreciate at all what the Knicks were doing in the first half of the season. You you panicked at every up and down. Every every down, I should say, you panicked. You wanted to trade people, wanted to do this, wanted to do that. I was wrong sometimes, too. But the overall, the overarching viewpoint from a lot of you fans is really terrible. You didn't have what I thought was a firm grasp of what this team was. You wanted them to be what you wanted them to be. You wanted Cam Reddish to average 20 points a game. You guys getting all excited about Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish is like a minus 30 since he's been with Portland. No, seriously, he's one and two with Portland, and he's a minus nine. And there's a game in there, like I said, the Portland Trailblazers beat the Lakers, and they lost two games. There's a game in there, his first game, People pointing out his stat line. They lost to the OKC. OKC Thunder. Uh, they lost. They gave up 138 points. What are you guys looking at? Y'all looking at his empty calories? You guys understand that scoring is just part of the NBA. You need to score efficiently. And you need to stop. You need to make stops on the other end. And stops are not just about your own man. It's about rotations. It's about contesting shots. It's about rebounding. It's it's a whole slew of things you have to do on a basketball court outside of a nice one-on-one play. And you guys get stuck on that. Now, I understand. Every Nick fan loves Josh Hart. I I call him Jason again. Josh Hart. Every Nick fan loves Josh Hart right now. Every single one. But you should have known when Josh Hart came in here that Josh Hart was going to do all the things that Cam Reddish didn't. And you guys are so stuck in your Cam Reddish narrative that you're still posting Cam Reddish stats, even though he's a minus nine since he's been with Portland. Portland's trying to make a run for the playoffs. They're not tanking. They put him right into the starting lineup. He is a minus nine. Josh Hart is a plus 41 in three games with the Knicks. Plus 41. And you guys are posting Cam Reddish stats. Are you for real? And listen, listen, the bloom's gonna fall off the rose with Josh Hart. He's not gonna keep shooting as well as he's shooting. He's not gonna, he's going to play, he's gonna continue to play well, but he's not gonna shoot the way he's shooting from three for the rest of the season. Plus 41. Let me tweet that out. But anyway, I don't want to pick on Cam Reddish because I don't dislike Cam Reddish. I understood why Cam Reddish was benched. I saw the Dallas game, I saw how terrible it looked in that game. I know how how often he came into the game and wasn't quite solid. I know he averages 0.4 dribble off your foots per game. He's got he gets his shot blocked. The only person who's getting gotten his shot blocked his jump shot blocked as much as Cam Reddish is RJ Barrett, and it took him half the season to get to the same place that Cam Reddish got before December fourth. And that's just poor court awareness. He just he's not aware. He's not an aware enough player. And I want him to be better. I, I do. I'm not rooting against the kid. I want him to be better. I want him to play well. But I think you guys need to understand the difference between being a solid basketball player 
a professional basketball player and a talented basketball player. There are a lot of talented basketball players in this world. There's a lot of guys that can, Jamal Crawford can rip his suit off and give the league buckets right now. And I'm not saying Jamal Crawford's not a professional basketball player. I'm just saying Jamal Crawford can rip his suit off on TNT, come to the NBA, and give you 50 tomorrow. All right? Now, without getting too nuanced into Jamal Crawford, the reason why he's not playing is because teams don't believe that he can do it efficiently every night, and teams don't believe that he can defend every night. Whether they're right or wrong about it is, is not the point. Carmelo Anthony, he can't quite. I don't think Carmelo Anthony can come out and give you 50 right now. I'll be honest with you. But Carmelo Anthony can come out every night and give you 18, 20 points per game on 45% shooting. I believe that. He's not going to give you much more than that on 45% shooting. He's going to lose efficiency the more shots he takes. Because he's going to get tired and he's going to become too predictable. But he can most certainly be a third scorer on your team and do what he does. He can't be the primary because once you start to anticipate that pull-up mid-range, is going to be, I, I know it's hard to stop, but it becomes easier to stop when you know he's going to do it every single time. He used to mix it up, and that made it even more difficult to stop. But he doesn't mix it up anymore. He pretty much does the same thing every time. He can't be the primary scorer and shoot efficiently and do that. Not He can't, not anymore. I don't think anybody really could. Just shooting the same shot every time. But you know what he can't do? He's not going to rotate defensively. He's not going to be quick on rotations. He's not going to be quick on contests. He's not going to consistently chase down rebounds. Even though he did a decent job of that, the last two stints he had, I think, has been a little bit underrated. It still wasn't good enough. But it used to be worth the squeeze of having a Hall of Famer on your bench who wants more opportunities than he's getting. So this is just a long-winded way of making the point. There are a lot of guys who can put the ball in the basket in this league if they're given the opportunities. There are a fewer guys who can put the ball in the basket at a high rate in this league and do it efficiently. But what teams need are professionals who know every other aspect of their responsibilities and do those things well. Guys who know how to be stars in their role, not guys who only know how to be stars. And yeah, if you get out of Cam Reddish's way and you let him do what he wants to do, he can maybe put up an efficient 20 points per game. But he doesn't do all the other things that lead to wins. And that's his problem. And I think he can learn to do them. I'm not a big can't do. I'm a big doesn't do. I will point out this guy doesn't do this thing. There are... A handful of things that guys are just going to be incapable of doing because they, they don't have the physical prowess to do them. But when it comes to just not doing something, like you have the physicality to do it, you're just not doing it. I I struggle with the notion of whether or not a guy can learn to do it and be better at doing it versus he's never going to learn or be good at doing it. I just have not seen it from Cam, and I'm not going to keep making the same comparisons but you see guys come into this league and they know how to be professionals right off the bat they just know how to make professional plays how many quentin grimes came in here last year as a rookie and was going to take in and was going to take over the starter's role he got injured because he does all of the little things and maybe cam doesn't have the physicality that quentin does defensively but he does all of the little things 
Same thing with Josh Hart. He does all of the little things. These guys are stronger in, in stature than Cam. Cam is a little light. But they do the little things. There are other ways to make plays when you have the body types that Cam does. And sometimes he does it. But there are little things that you have to do. And that's what Josh Hart is doing. That's what he's doing. And I knew he would do it. The only question with him was whether or not he was going to shoot and make shots. And he addressed that in an interview. He said basically the offense in Portland really didn't call for him to have the the freedom to shoot more. And that affected his confidence, essentially, is what he said. Because there were reports that Portland wanted him to shoot more. But he... And he didn't have a bad word to say about Portland, but it's kind of it's kind of what people are saying about Cam Reddish. That Cam Reddish was not put in position to score, and some of that is true, or 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 be his best self. And some of that is true because Tom Thibodeau does not focus on putting people in the best positions for themselves. He just really doesn't. Maybe for Julius and Jalen, but he really doesn't across the board. He doesn't. He doesn't do it for Quentin. He doesn't IQs at the point guard position, so it's fine for him. It's and I've said this before. IQ is right now he's playing great, but historically he has been his his own worst enemy. As opposed to last year, I will say when Kemba was playing, it was a roadblock for IQ. When he wasn't playing, and then Derrick Rose got hurt, he had no roadblocks. It was all about him. You playing the point guard position. Alec Burks got essentially put at the point guard position because he wasn't playing well. You guys got it mixed up. IQ wasn't playing well. That's why Alec Burks was playing. And it took him half the season, essentially, to kind of get his confidence to start playing well. And he didn't really do that until there were a bunch of injuries the last month of the season. And guys started sitting down. But you can't function like that in the NBA. You have to be a star in your role. And I'm sorry, IQ had to take a little responsibility for his own poor play, and I'll come back to him in a minute. But Quentin Grimes playing the off-ball position, Cam Reddish when he was in the off-ball position, I got to be super honest with you. They're not being put, Obi Toppin, they're not being put in the best positions to accentuate their talents. And you saw Quentin Grimes killing All-Star Weekend. Salute that boy. Almost carried them to victory. Came up short. Broke my heart. It was a Bronx kid, though. Alvarado from the BX. I, you know, I want it for Quentin, but Alvarado's from, from the hometown. So give him, give him a little respect on that. But Quentin Grimes is not being put in position to play well. Some of that is his own doing because there, there's freedom in the offense a lot of you guys who, and, and Thibodeau deserves some of this blame now. I'm not absolving him of, of this blame now. But Josh Hart said it. It's a read and react offense. You guys call it old school offense, not old school offense. It's a read and react offense. When the ball finds you, you have the freedom to make plays. All right, you whatever you guys make it an old school thing. It's not really an old school thing to give the to, to empower the players to make plays. Okay, now we can criticize him because you you still have to have some reins. You have to you still have to put people in position to score. You got to have run better plays. You got to do a lot of that stuff, and he's not doing it. But just as 
an overarching approach to the game, allowing the players to read and react, the, the Knicks are averaging a point per possession. They're like sixth in the league in efficiency. They're not playing poorly offensively, even though they don't shoot great percentages across the board. And some of that is a result of the offensive rebounding, which is also a product of how they approach offense. Can Things can always improve, and they would improve immensely if they put Quentin Grimes in position to score more. But some of that is Quentin. Some of that is Quentin saying, okay, the ball found me. Instead of just being a glue guy, a connector, let me be a playmaker now. Let me have the confidence to do that. And, and he has that freedom. And you're seeing with Josh Hart is that Josh Hart understands that he has that freedom. That's why he had a 27-point game against the Nets. That's why he's been aggressive offensively, finding seams in the defense when the ball finds him and getting to the front of the rim, where he shoots an incredible percentage, finishes very well the front of the rim. Maybe that runs off on Quentin. Hopefully, where Quentin says, okay, I see where Josh is eating. Maybe I need to do that too. Instead of catching the ball and jab stepping and seeing if I beat my man, if I don't, I pass it back to Julius. Maybe I make something happen here. Maybe maybe I isolate quickly. Not not you don't have to hold the ball to isolate. Maybe I isolate quickly, get my guy leaning in the wrong direction and drive to the front of the rim more often. So that weight falls on him. Obi Toppin is the one that really gets screwed because he had a lot of possessions where he just doesn't touch the ball. But when he does, he has to be more efficient with his opportunities. And that brings us back to Cam. And, and Cam had to be better with those opportunities. And you're seeing rookies, second rounders. You're seeing guys who journeymen who are more effective in, in connector roles, corner, corner three guys, guys like, like Martin in – Miami, who I love, guys who understand when the ball finds them what to do when they get it. And Reddish never really found that, consistently never really found that groove, and that's on him. On top of the fact that he was a sieve defensively more often than not. Even though he was good isolation, he wasn't good in screen defense and rotations, and he wasn't always good there. He was good in, in the passing lanes, he was good at contesting shots, but he wasn't always good at the, the every play, second, third efforts that it needed when you're in the game. And now where I was wrong, we talked about Emmanuel quickly when he started popping up in trade rumors. I think I mentioned this in the last show with Seth Park. Now, when Josh Hart was traded to the Knicks, he brought up that Josh Hart was maybe insurance for trading quickly. And I shot that down immediately. I said, I don't think the Knicks are trading quickly. And Fred Katz actually backed that up. A nice B reporter, a really uh, good B reporter for the Knicks for the Athletic. He reported a couple of weeks ago the Knicks weren't really paying much attention to quickly calls anymore. But you can see that on the floor. The Knicks have not, I don't care what you say, a lot of times when people criticize the Knicks front office, it's based on Dolan and it's based on where the Knicks have been in the last 20 years. I said this a long time ago. I can't function that way. I can't function in a way where you criticize a front office for what previous front offices have done. And you're holding them to a standard that they haven't earned. And a lot of you guys hate Dolan and think Dolan is the reason for a lot of things. I don't think James Dolan has actually run this franchise for about 10 years. When I say run it, I don't think he's done any. I shouldn't say that. I take that back. 
when when Steve Mills took over for Phil Jackson, I do think Steve Mills is an armor James Dolan, right? But outside of Steve Mills, I think the Knicks, ever since they hired Isaiah Thomas, the Knicks have been run by the people who were hired to run the Knicks. And he stayed out of it. That's what he has said. And that's what all of the guys he hired has, has said. Phil Jackson, and criticize him all you want. Phil Jackson, he had full control. The only thing he didn't have full, he had to ask for permission to, to trade, to uh, buy out Carmelo Anthony. I'm pretty sure he had to ask about trading. Uh, the Knicks didn't trade KP. That was, I mean, Phil Jackson didn't trade KP. He wanted to trade KB's, KP. So I'm pretty sure he had to ask permission to trade KP, and he was nixed on that. Isaiah Thomas had full control when he was there. Donnie Walsh had full control. A lot of people think Dolan is the reason why Carmelo got traded for what he got traded for. Donnie Walsh has come out several times and said that was 100% his call. And Dolan gives his opinion. He said it in his little silly interview he had. He said, let me take that back because Dolan had me blocked out of the garden. It wasn't silly. I'll take that back. I apologize because I don't want to get blocked. I want to go see the game sometimes. He's going to have me blocked at the door, man. I told you. I told somebody. He is the living embodiment of F around and find out. You don't say, don't leave James Dolan alone if you want to go into the garden. Or any place he owns. Okay. Is it right or wrong? I'm not going to have that debate. It is what it is right now. You want to fix it, fix it. Until it's fixed, I'm going to shut my mouth. I'm not going to say nothing. So when he had that gorgeous... Perfect interview. Interviews. Right? Because he had he was on with Carton on on W on um with uh Craig Carton on WFing and he did an interview. You would never expect him to do an interview live on the radio with a guy like Craig Carton who would put the screws to him and he did it. To his credit. And that's not me kissing up to his credit, right? But he said consistently that he just wants to be heard, but he's not going to tell guys what to do. And that was consistent with Isaiah Thomas. It was consistent with Donnie Walsh and what they have said. Phil Jackson, for the most part, outside of him trying to trade away the best draft pick in 30 years, 40 years. And buy out Carmelo Anthony for tens of millions of dollars. Instead of trading him. OK, Steve Mills came in. It's hard to say to Steve Mills, who, you know, it's hard to say to Steve Mills, who was really more of an executive with the Garden and, and had to take over the Knicks because they hired Phil Jackson. Scott Perry was there as well. It's hard to say that they had full control and, and Dolan didn't have a say. It's hard to say that. Just off the cuff. Leon Rose has come in here and he has his little team and I don't like everything they do and say. But. And you may not, and they have definitely made mistakes, but every front office does. You cannot say that Dolan has been running the team since Leon Rose has been here. You're just saying that. You don't have anything to back that up. That's just coming out of your, your buttocks. Leon Rose has been making these decisions, right or wrong. So if you're going to criticize Leon Rose, criticize Leon Rose. Don't criticize Leon Rose because Steve Mills screwed up and Donnie Wall screwed up and Isaiah Thomas screwed up and Phil Jackson screwed up and Scott Layden and whoever else you want to, you want to point out. Don't, don't blame Leon Rose for all that nonsense. Blame Leon Rose for the things he did, like bringing in Kemba Walker and giving him a two-year deal. I think that was probably the, one of the worst things he did because the Knicks had to make trades and give up picks just to get rid of him. 
giving Evan Fournier $18 million a year, even though that's what shooters cost. The Knicks did not need Evan Fournier for what he does. They needed somebody who does more than just shoot. They shouldn't have gave him that contract. So there were definitely mistakes made. Nobody's perfect. And criticize him for the mistakes he made and his team for the mistakes he made, not draft a Halliburton. Mistakes that he made. And if you really look at the history of what the Knicks have done here, they have not just given away draft picks. They haven't just, and I'm not getting into the weeds with that over what happened this summer. They got three draft picks for that pick that ended up being Dorian. They have not given away young players. The rumors that the Knicks might have been willing to trade quickly for a first-round draft pick made sense to me at the time. As much as Knicks fans hated it, this is some of these same Knicks fans that didn't want Cam Reddish traded, okay? So, I mean, a broken clock's right twice a day. But quickly was not playing as well as he's playing now. He was a net rating superstar. He was a defensive superstar. He was great. And I said this at the time. Great floor game. The Knicks are better when he's on the floor. But the Knicks have to pay quickly. And you can't pay all your young guys. You can't fall in love with all your role players and all your young young guys. You can't fall in love with them if they're doing something that can be replaced by cheaper options or replaced by another draft pick where you can have them on a rookie scale deal for the next three, four years. They have to be doing something that's not replaceable. That's value over replacement. And quickly, even then, he walked that line. And I admit that. And I said at the time, he walked that line because he was such a positive force on the floor for the Knicks. He walked that line of not being replaceable. But not having his offense be consistent, and it wasn't consistent at the time. He was shooting poorly from three. He wasn't consistently scoring the ball, wasn't consistently making plays. I'm not going to go on and on and on about it. And I remember, and I said it on the show, quickly, as soon as those trade rumors started coming up, quickly started playing better immediately. And I said it. I think I tweeted it too. I said, I don't know if Quickly's playing better because he wants to be traded or if he wants to stay. Because he played better immediately. And here's the back of Emmanuel Quickly since December 20th, 29 games. This is from at IQ for three, obviously. <laughs> Stand account. 15.8 points per game, four rebounds per game. assists, four and a quarter assist turnover ratio, 48 from the field, 48% from the field, 39% from three, 81% from the line, a 60.9% true shooting percentage, and a plus 124. Now, listen, man. He wasn't doing that before December 20th. When those trade rumors first hit, he wasn't doing all that. That's documented in my tweets. It's documented in the show. He was not doing all that. He was just he was very solid on offense. He had gotten better. He had done a lot of ball hogging historically and had improved on that. And I talked about that. Good floor game. Everything I said a couple minutes ago. But he wasn't doing that. 15 points per game, four rebounds, 3.4 assists. Come on. 48% from the field, 39% from three. He was not doing all that. 
Once he started doing all that, I don't believe this front office wanted to trade him for a first round draft pick. Because now you have a two-way player who's giving you consistent offense. Not an inconsistent offensive player who's just playing good defense and you believe because you saw him play good offense once that he would continue to do it. You'd be coming off an entire, almost an entire season, almost 80, 90% of the season, he didn't play great last year. And then started the season not shooting well again, right? You're looking at a sample size of him not playing great more than you're looking at a sample size of him showing really good offensive potential. So, of course, the Knicks might be willing to start over with a with another player because he was borderline replaceable. He's not replaceable doing this. Not with the way he's affecting the floor on a defensive end. Not, not with the way the team plays when he's on the floor. He is not replaceable when he's adding that kind of offense. And you can drop those numbers down a couple percentage points and he's still not replaceable. That's still a guy that you pay. So, no, I don't believe the Knicks are just going to trade. I mean, he might end up in a package for, you know, a good player. You know, that might end up being the case, but no. And I think things change. The notion of of being reactionary, you there's a thin line between being too reactionary and just being honest, an honest assessment. Julius Randle coming into the season had negative value. Right now, Julius Randle is not a negative value player because he played better. IQ has played better. And because he played better, his value is different. Their willingness to trade him is different. That's just the way it works. You don't rewrite history. You acknowledge this is what it was before and this is what it is now. Now, it's a little bit disappointing to know that you can pull a trigger and move a guy based on where he is right then and there and then him be something else just a short time after. That's got to be frustrating. If you're a fan or you're a front office and you're like, I I traded the IQ who was shooting 30% from three. Now he's shooting 39%. I wish I had that guy. I already traded him. So, yeah, I mean, but that's why they get paid the big bucks. But you can't go back and say the IQ was this player before. He wasn't. He wasn't playing like this before. Now, this, this is a testament to being patient with young players and all that. Sure, 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 sure. But IQ is not being asked to do anything more than he was asked to do before. He's just doing it better. Give him credit, but also understand that front offices have to base their decisions on what you're doing on the floor. At some point, they can't keep paying for your potential when you've been in the league for three years. I'm not going to go into Obi Toppin because Obi Toppin is the one who's actually getting a little bit shafted. IQ wasn't getting shafted. I don't think Cam Reddis was getting getting shafted. Obi Toppin, he's getting a little shafted. Now, we talked briefly about the Knicks having one of the tougher schedules for the remainder of the season a couple weeks ago. Listen, the Knicks navigated some of the tough portion of that schedule so far and have come out on top. Now, their schedule isn't much tougher than Miami. All right, they're they're almost on even footing with some of these teams that they're playing or fighting with for position. For the Eastern Conference, for the remainder of the season, the 76ers have 25 games left. They have the most difficult schedule 
for the remainder of the season. They have to play the Celtics twice, the Bucks twice, Cavs once, Denver once, Memphis once, the Nets once. Their easy opponents are teams that are fighting to get in the playoffs. I see Washington, I see Portland, I see the Bulls, I see the Pacers, I see the Hornets. Um, so it's a tough schedule for Philadelphia. I don't really care about Philadelphia, though, right? But second to them are the Hawks, a team the Knicks are fighting in the, in the standings. Listen, some of you guys are talking about the Knicks getting to the finals now. Like, you guys are just, I can't. You wanted, a number of you who wanted to tank, there are a number of you that want to fire the coach. I understand it's not always the same people making these contradictory opinions and stances. But let me just go through the line here. There are a number of you who want to tank. There are a number of you who want to fire the coach. There are a number of you who want to fire the front office. Right? There are a number of you who hate Julius Randle and don't give him credit for anything. Again, he deserves criticism for some stuff too. Don't get me wrong. There are a number of you criticizing Jalen Brunson and his ball hogging ways. A number of you criticizing the Josh Hart trade. I still want Cam Reddish to play. All right. It's a number of you who want Obi Toppin to play more than Julius Randle still. Okay. And you got people talking about the Knicks can go to the finals. What are we doing? Okay. You look at the standings and you see the Knicks are in six. I get it. But look how many games back everyone else is. You can't just look at the standings. Look at the games back. Let's just go over the games back right now. Should have pulled it up. Let's just go. Games back for some of these teams that you think are in your rear view mirror. The Knicks are in. The Knicks are in sixth place. The Miami Heat are a half game behind them. Okay. Their strength of schedule is now commensurate with the Knicks. So they're even Stevens from here on out. Keep in mind, the Miami Heat came into the season with everybody universally saying that they were better than the Knicks. Their roster is no worse than it was when the season started. They are relatively healthy right now. Tyler Hero is playing better than most people thought he actually was. There is no reason, logically, to say that the Heat are not better than the Knicks other than the Knicks are playing better. That's it. And that can change. (laughs) That can change. We've seen it all season long. The Miami Heat was struggling at the beginning of the season. Now they're playing better. It was a big win the Knicks had over the Heat once again. But the Miami Heat, according to everybody, better team. Better team. And their schedules are are comparable. And the Knicks are a half game ahead of them. The Atlanta Hawks, the Knicks are three and a half games ahead of them. Hawks also playing better. Another team that people said, we're better than the Knicks. A huge game against the Hawks right before the All-Star break. Chef's kiss. Beautiful. Right behind them, the Washington Wizards, who are fighting back. Fighting back. Four games ahead of the Wizards. That can, That's a weak, that's a four-game losing streak. That's nothing. The Wizards can be right back in the mix. And listen, if the Wizards make the playoffs, the Knicks get their pick. So at some point, the Wizards are going to get smart and stop winning. Like, what are they doing? What are they? At, at some point, they got to pull a plug on this. Because the Knicks get their pick if they make the playoffs. Or actually, not even if they make the playoffs. Let me go look it up real quick. 
All right, the Knicks get the Wizards pick if it's between 15 and 30, okay? So if they're one of the if they're one of the top 15 teams in the league or 14 teams in the league, I should say if they're one of the bottom 14 teams in the league, the Wizards get their own pick. If their pick lies between 15 and 30, the Knicks get their pick. So if they keep making these strides towards the playoffs and they actually get into that eighth seed, the Knicks get their pick. That actually makes them a top 16 team. So if the Wizards keep winning, the Knicks get those picks. Now, you don't want the Wizards to overtake the Knicks, <laughs> okay? Even though the Knicks have a little insurance, if they don't make the playoffs, they get their pick that they traded for Josh Hart. But if the Wizards keep winning, the Knicks get their pick. So let's root for the Wizards just a little bit. Just just, just a little root for the Wizards, all right? So the Wizards, like I said, four games back, I think is what I said. Um, so who's after the Wizards? The Raptors. The Raptors are four and a half games back. And then the Bulls are six and a half games back. And the Pacers are seven games back. And then after that, you get a little... Even though the Magic are playing better, they're nine games back in the sixth seed. So, now, the Knicks can't look backwards. They got to look ahead. I told you I don't think the Nets have fallen off. I've been said it. Now everybody's on the bandwagon. I said it when they made the trade. The Nets should have probably traded a couple of those players and got one of these bigger, bigger names, bigger production players that were available. I want to get into who and what to the wares, but... The, the Nets are a troublesome team. They, they're the type of team that is going to be a pain in the butt every single night. And you might, they'll, they'll run into trouble in the playoffs against the wrong team because they don't have that guy, that go-to guy. And that's, in theory, where the Knicks would run into trouble as well. But the Nets are not just going to fall off. But the Knicks are two games behind them. So if you're looking ahead and people are saying, well, the Nets are going to fall off, the Knicks can move up in the standings, then you got to look behind too. As the Knicks can't do it, the Knicks have to look in front. But as an analyst, as a fan, you got to look behind. The Knicks can move up or they can move down. So you can't treat these teams like they just firmly in the rearview mirror. So the Knicks have to win the games that are in front of them. And strength of schedule matters. It's not something that historically people have looked at and paid much attention to, but they needed to. They needed to. Toronto is third in strength of schedule in terms of, I should say, when I say third, I'm saying third worst. Okay. They have the Celtics again twice. They got to play Milwaukee, Denver, Cavs. Okay. And even the teams that are, the easy, so-called easy opponents, they play Detroit twice, but they play the Wizards three times. They play the Lakers. They play the Bulls. The Bulls are obviously trying to win. And then Brooklyn is right behind them. And then the, Net, the Knicks are tied with them. The Knicks have, and that's another thing, the Knicks don't have as many games left as any of the teams mentioned so far. Philly has 25 games left. The Hawks have 23, Toronto 23, 
The Nets have 24. The Knicks have 22. Okay, so Miami's right behind, right behind the Knicks. Actually, they're tied. The Nets, New York, and Miami all have the, the same level of strength of schedule. If you look at the Knicks, the Knicks have to play the Rockets. The Nets have the Rockets twice. They have the Pistons once. The Knicks have the Hornets. Ball is playing. Hornets could be a pain in the butt. Uh, the Nets also have the Hornets. The Knicks have to play the Magic again. The Nets have to play the Magic twice. The Knicks have to play the Pacers twice. They played them a bunch of times. The Knicks have to play the Lakers. They have to play the Wizards, and the Wizards showed the last time they played, they kind of figured the Knicks out a little bit. Knicks are a little bit different now, but still. And the Nets have to play the Bulls and the Jazz. There are no real easy games here, by the way. <laughs> the Rockets. And the Nets have to play them twice. There are no real easy games. No real easy games. Everybody got to put work in. Everybody got to put work in. Washington has the easiest schedule of the guys fighting for this spot that are within range. Again, good and bad. But the Knicks, the Wizards are, are far behind the Knicks. The Knicks get caught by the Wizards and they don't deserve to make the playoffs. So this is one of those things where it's like, Stop talking about the NBA Finals and just focus on what's in front of the Knicks. The Knicks have to win games. Don't think that I, that's the one thing I'll say about Josh Hart. And I made this point right after the All Star break. I said Josh Hart gives the Knicks margin for error. He fills in the blanks. And I think if the Knicks, and that's why you hate to see momentum right before the All-Star break and then there's a break and you, 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 you're you afraid that the team's going to fall back into bad habits because the bad habits are more ingrained than the good habits. Josh Hart is Josh Hart, but everyone else, you know, maybe he raises all ships, but he gives them margin for error because he's going to make the plays that no one else is making, especially in that second unit. And especially when he plays with the starters, he's going to make plays that no one else is making. He's going to get you extra possessions. He's going to make stops that weren't stops before. He's going to get loose balls that you didn't get before. He's going to get offensive rebounds that you didn't get before. Okay, He's going to take and create shots that you weren't getting before. In transition, he's getting the rebound and pushing the ball up the floor up the floor, you're going to get transition opportunities that you didn't get before. And he's doing it in a non-intrusive way, which means he's not really taking away from anyone else. And that's not to say that he's not taking minutes from anyone else, because he's going to take some minutes from people, but he's not taking away the production that those people were giving in those minutes. He's adding to, like I said, plus 41. So things are looking up for the team in this break. I'm excited to see these next 22 games. I hope you are too. Don't forget though, check out sportsethos.com. Follow at sportsethos on Twitter, at ethosnicks. Until next time.